Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we are discussing the second half of Percy Jackson and The Last Olympian. We're finishing the Percy Jackson series today. We're a new podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. Yes, we're finishing our first series of the show. That's so thrilling. And that's 10 weeks of us releasing. Because this is episode 12, but we released our first three together. This will be the 10th week of Throwback Paperback. Plus, we finished our first series. So that's really, really exciting. For those of you who are new to the show, we're best friends and roommates, and we've wanted to share books with each other for a while, so we turned it into a podcast. Asia read the Percy Jackson series growing up, and I never did, so it's a treat for her. She's sharing them with me. I'm getting to read them for the first time, and you get to hear someone who's familiar with the books and someone who's completely new, so you get a full range of perspectives while listening to the pod. And next week, we're starting a series that Charles has read before and I haven't, And part of the way this is set up is the person who is into the books gives a brief summary of our reading in case you didn't read along with us. So Charles is on his last summary for a while, and then after that, I'll be taking over. Yes, it's my last summary for a while. Will I miss them? Who knows? Anyway, summary, we're discussing chapters 13 through 23 of The Last Olympian today. I actually didn't have a lot to say for this summary, though, because it's mostly vignettes of the battle, and I didn't want to get bogged down, like, talking about each individual wave. But essentially, we start with Prometheus, the Titan, offering Perseus an option to surrender. Percy says no. We have a lot of battle. We have some unexpected allies and sur- arrivals, like Clarice and Hades and Percy's parents, Rachel. Finally, we have our main trio, Annabeth, Percy, and Grover, fighting Kronos in Olympus, and they manage to win, so Kronos' spirit is expelled from Luke's body. We have a pretty big celebration at Olympus and at camp. Rachel becomes the new Oracle of Delphi, and we get a lot of changes for our magical Olympian world, and Annabeth and Percy end up together. So, my first impression was that I felt like the battle with Kronos was a little short-lived. I felt like We have this war that goes on for a couple chapters, and then they just defeat Kronos pretty quickly, but it's okay. Um, And I did feel like Luke's redemption arc was a little unjustified, but I'm sure we'll talk about that at the end more. Oh, and spies. We definitely have to talk about spies. As I was reading this chapter, these chapters I texted Asia, I was like, spies, spies, finally. Anyway, Asia, what about your impressions? For me, honestly, I was just kind of sad it was over. I... As much as I love finishing a series, it's also just, it's always a little depressing for me because it's like, oh, that storyline's over, time to move on to the next thing. But I feel like rereading these books, it definitely makes me want to read the other Percy Jackson series, which I think is called The Heroes of Olympus, because this story continues with new characters as well as old characters. We're not going to be reading that on the podcast, at least for right now, but Uh, that's a series I never finished as a child. So after rereading this, I really want to continue the story and see what's going to happen next, especially since at the end of the book, we get a new prophecy. So it's kind of like the story doesn't really end. So on that, yeah, we're not going to read the Heroes of Olympus series that we can get into some new content, new world. 
But on that, as soon as I finished the books, I went to the library website and I requested all five of the Heroes of Olympus books. And I already have one of them here. So I'm going to read them because I also want to finish the story. And there's another series he wrote afterwards in the same universe called The Trials of Apollo. So it's a total of 15 books just in the Percy Jackson saga. So if you would like, Asia, I will have them in the apartment. So if you want to borrow them, you're more than welcome to read them after I do. Okay, great. <laughs> anyway, let's get into this book. But we'll, um, maybe we'll do some like mini episodes or something like that. Who knows? Or Instagram content on the other books. But for now, let's finish off the first Percy Jackson and Olympians. And we're on the last Olympian. So we start with Prometheus bringing Pandora's vase to Percy and telling him just to release hope. And, of course, he happens to give Percy more visions of Luke's past. And we basically find out that Hermes always knew what Luke's fate would be, but he couldn't tell Luke what it was. Yeah, which we do find out later because, obviously, it's sad and everything because Luke obviously feels abandoned because Hermes didn't try to save him. But Hermes knew in the end that Luke would be redeemed and everything. So he knew that it would all play out, ideally, in the way that would save the gods and that his son basically would have to sacrifice himself. So it's like, well, we're going to talk about this more, I think, later. But it is like Hermes was definitely in a very difficult position. Mm-hmm. Actually, do you want to just let's just talk about it now. Let's just finish Hermes, May and Luke now because we finished the book. Like we get that next vision right away anyway. Yeah. So Percy, the vision Prometheus shows Percy is with... Hermes, May, and Luke, and he sees Camp Half-Blood in the 90s, where May is there with Hermes and Chiron, and Luke is a baby. And basically, she wants to try to take on the spirit of the Oracle, but she goes up to the attic to try and take on the, take on the spirit, and it just makes her go insane because they didn't know about Hades' curse on the Oracle spirit. So obviously, she becomes cursed, and the spirit rejects her, and then she just comes out literally crazy. Yeah, it's pretty, it's really sad, especially because it was like a great plan where May already had the sight, she could see through the mist, and she was going to be able to raise Luke at Camp Half-Blood. Like, she was going to be the oracle and be able to, like, also be involved in bringing him up, which was going to be kind of like the best of both worlds for her. And Hermes, like, you know, she was going to have this option, and that probably meant that she could, like, be more involved with Hermes as well. And it's just awful that like no one knew about Hades' curse so she's ruined and it's just it's very sad but I think that Hermes was right not to interfere as we know like obviously because you know what if he told Luke more like the prophecy still would have happened or like Luke's future still would have happened but like honestly it probably would have more complicated so maybe Luke Hermes was right not to interfere but I still think that he could have been more involved in Luke's upbringing like that's still his bad but Hermes emphasizes, I think, at the end of the book, how it it's ancient rules for the gods not to interfere in heroes' lives. Because even how I feel like Percy's relationship with Poseidon, Poseidon never really interferes in Percy's life. Like, he sometimes mm-hmm. sends blessings and things, but he can't help with any kind of decision decisions. And probably for Hermes, since he knew all these things were going to happen, and obviously... For Luke, at least as he gets older, like he starts to betray the gods, like he knows that he can't interfere in any way because it most likely would just make it worse. So I, I can understand. Like I said, I to me it's like one of those he was just in a very difficult position, and 
sometimes when you're in a difficult position, sometimes the best thing is just to do nothing and let things just play out how they're going to play out. Have you been watching The Crown? No. Oh, well, that's literally the whole motto of the whole show is the royalty just doesn't do anything, even in a good (laughs) or bad situation. Sometimes the best solution is do nothing. Sometimes. Anyway. But anyway, let's go over some other important conversations that happened during the battles. Talia warns Percy about how Annabeth has always looked up to Luke and that he has always been her hero, and she's worried that Annabeth will not be able to face Luke in battle. But she also tells Percy and warns him to not start feeling bad for Luke and his upbringing with the gods because ultimately Luke made his own decisions and just in general, like not even just in Half-Bloods, but lots of people grow up in unfortunate situations. Like I was thinking of applying it to the real world and only a select few people end up becoming evil into like murderers or rapists or something like that for the demigod world most of them don't have interactions with their parents. Like, they very rarely, if at all, meet their godparent. So just because Luke had this bad experience, most of the demigods go through that, and obviously he made decisions to turn himself evil and go against them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's kind of what we've been talking about. Like, we've been wondering the whole book series if Luke deserves redemption, and I think we'll probably talk about that at the end of the episode. But, like... You're at, you're right that, you know, obviously we've already discussed that God should be more involved, but also they're not. And, you know, all of our protagonists are like demigods who didn't turn out evil and like sacrifice all of humankind because they were mad at their parents. So there is something to be said. Like, I agree with Talia. I think she's absolutely right. I will discuss a little bit of a dream. We have a Percy dream where he sees Ethan talking to Kronos and Kronos thinks that because Annabeth jumped in front of Ethan's knife, that Ethan and Annabeth know where Percy's Achilles spot was, which we don't really get confirmed that Ethan, like, he doesn't really know. Like, he has no way of knowing, or if he does, like, it was, like, a subconscious instinct. But it doesn't really end up mattering later on. But we do get the important part that Luke is fighting against Kronos's body, or Kronos in his body. Like, Luke is kind of trying to resist Kronos, Yes. So well, that'll come back for sure. Well, regarding Ethan, I, I really think he has no idea. I think Kronos kind of puts that in. He suggested he's like, well, I that would make. I completely agree. Because probably he's like, oh, well, maybe he told Annabeth. So, of course, Annabeth knew. But, I mean, if you think about it, since it's in his back, like, if that's your best friend, person you're in love with, you see someone's about to stab them in the back. They can't see that coming. Of course, you're going to jump in the way if you really care about them whether you know that that's their Achilles heel or not. So I feel like that's kind of jumping to conclusions and maybe that was Riordan's way of like saying like, oh, maybe they know the spot, but I just feel like it's unlikely that Ethan at least suspected it in any way. But it is nice to hear, obviously, that Cronus is not in full control of Luke's body and that Luke obviously has some kind of power because obviously that points to the fact that he is going to be able to regain control and kill himself and Kronos, which obviously is how it plays out in the end. Yeah. It it was definitely needed there that like we got that um we got that warning that or that note that Luke is resisting because otherwise if we'd had the final chapter without that, it would have felt like, oh, Luke became good all of a sudden. Like, okay. Like knowing that there's been a struggle is important. But again, we'll save some Luke redemption. But we have some battles. We have 
the Titan Hyperion and the Flying Pig, and Percy gets a new Percy power. He creates personal hurricanes, which was a pretty cool power. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yep, and then Chiron and the Centaurs all show up to help fight. Which felt a little convenient. Anytime there was trouble, like, anytime they were like, we're out of reinforcements, like, someone would show up. Like, oh, here are the Centaurs, and then, oh, here's Clarice, and, oh, here's... It it was fine. We needed all of our characters to be back in one place, so I didn't really mind it. But I was like, oh, we've been told the whole book that everyone, that they're out of troops. And another thing that was convenient about the Centaurs was that when they run into Percy's um, mom and dad and Pandora's vase is there, it was just how, like, of course, Chiron happens to be there. He's like, oh, yeah, the vase will follow you around whenever you're vulnerable. I was like, yeah, we needed Chiron there to give us that exposition because we wouldn't have understood it otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But then after that, Rachel shows up in a helicopter and... Convenient. She, well, she said she was coming and her parents are rich. But she is immune to Morpheus's spell, so she doesn't fall asleep, but her helicopter pilot falls asleep. So the helicopter's going down, which that, when Annabeth, so Percy and Annabeth get on, I think, a blackjack to fly up to try to save her. And Annabeth ends up in the helicopter, and she lands the helicopter perfectly. She said she's never flown one before, but, you know, her dad is into, like, aviation flying, so she's, like... It just looked like the other things she's learned about when she's been home. So she just lands this helicopter and walks away like it's nothing. And she totally just saved Rachel's life. I just wanted to comment on that because good job, Annabeth. Absolutely. But so Rachel shows up there and she doesn't know why she isn't under Morpheus's spell. But she wanted to tell Percy that like words just come to her and she's like a trick that ends in death is about to happen. And she says, Percy, you're not the hero. So Percy's like a little <laughs> offended, which I thought was funny. He's like, I'm not the hero. I'm the one killing everybody right now. Yeah, he's like, who else would be the hero if not me? But obviously, which what we talked about last episode, how I was saying in the prophecy, how the first half with a half-blood of one of the eldest gods, that first half was about Percy. And it was mainly just referring to the time of when all of these things would occur. But the second half of the prophecy, when they're talking about this hero making these decisions, it'll be his last breath, blah, blah, blah. That is referring to Luke. Luke will be the hero because Luke will end up killing Kronos, saving the world by killing himself, which is why it'll be his last breath. So I was also going to say, what was I going to say? I had something on the tip of my tongue about the predictability. Oh, how she says about the trick that ends in death is about to happen. And she makes, doesn't she? Clarice comment too. She says that Ares will, a child of Ares will kill the Dracon. When she says that, I was like, and then they're all like, well, the Ares cabin isn't here. So that must be false. I was like, well, they're obviously going to show up. Like talk about being predictable, especially after everyone else. Like right when they're like, oh, about to be defeated. Somebody shows up to help them. Right about to be defeated. Here comes another like reinforcement like so very predictable because we only have two major named characters who are children of Ares. we have clarice and eutarian from i was like who's number two (laughs) and like if eutarian had showed up it would have been like fine because but like of course it had to be clarice yeah but also yes i was writing my my notes and i was like we predicted this because we talked about this last episode we were like the prophecy doesn't actually say that the child of the eldest gods has to be the hero we said that it could be like a conditional that the child of the eldest gods turning 16 is like 
when this will happen. And we predicted it right then and there. And I just want to say, like, we got that right. So mm-hmm. I was very proud of us. And then, of course, more battles. We have Selena and Ares, the child of Ares, basically the Ares cabin, and then Clarice taking on the Dracon. And we get an Ares power. You know, I love tagging the powers. It's called the Blessing of Ares, where Clarice gets, like, a red glow around her and becomes, like, basically as good as Percy with the Achilles invulnerability. Like, she, like, eats up the field. Like, she does a... She's a beast. And I think it's Annabeth or someone else who's like, the blessing of Ares. I've never seen it in action. But, like, that's pretty cool. Like, we get an Ares power finally. You're saying, like, a Clarice power or just that, like, Ares gave her power? It's a... Maybe I'm wrong, but I interpreted that as, like, children of Ares have a power where, like, their rage, like, makes them, like, unstoppable for a minute. Oh, I was just thinking that, like, like in that mode. moment, Ares was Or that was he, like, blessed, blessed her. her. That's what I've interpreted it as. But I could see that, too. Okay. That would make sense, too. But I figured because, like, because they called it the blessing of Ares, it made it sound like it was, like, a thing that happens multiple times. But it could have just been, like, because I feel like if it was something, like, Aries blessing her, they would have said Aries blessed her or something like that. But like the blessing of Aries, like as a proper noun, made it sound like it was a regular thing. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm getting too hyped for powers. Yeah. Well, we have our big, big reveal. I need a drum roll, please. Selena was the spy. I was right. Selena was a spy. I'm so glad I was mentioning these spies, all four books. And then I predicted last episode that it was Selena. I'm bowing. Thank you very much. Asia, take it away. Yes, Lena was the spy, and she explains that basically before Luke left, she liked him. So whether that was romantically or just as a friend, she liked Luke, and she trusted him, basically. And she wanted to eventually stop helping him, but he threatened that he'd tell on her, which obviously she doesn't want everyone to know that she's been the spy and just betrayed everyone because no one will ever forgive her and he did promise her that she would be saving lives and he specifically told her that they wouldn't hurt charles beckendorf but he obviously lied and that's why it, it was sad honestly like they pretty much don't talk about it the rest of the book and they just say that she died as a hero because in the end she ultimately went back to the correct side but it was sad for sure it was sad. I mean, because we felt that way about all of the demigods who went for Kronos. We felt like it was sad for each of them because it wasn't, it was misguided and yeah, they were taken advantage of. I wrote this down for like talking about maybe at the end, but we can talk about it now. I didn't really feel like her redemption. No, let's save redemption for her and Luke near the end once we've gotten the whole story out. Yeah. But yes, we got our Selena was the spy and it is true that she, like, fakes being Clarice so that she can bring the Clarice cabin, which was very clever of her. Yes. So, moving on, we'll talk about it more at the end. Percy, once they're or they're up on Olympus, Percy climbs onto Poseidon's throne to get his attention, which I guess that's, like, a giant rule. Like, you can't climb on the gods' thrones. Like, they'll blast you or try to, like, kill you, basically. But... Just before he gets blasted to bits, he's able to tell Poseidon, show him that it's him, and he tells him that he needs to abandon his palace and join the gods to come protect his true home, 
which is Olympus. Like he's like, you can rebuild your underwater palace, but you will not be able to rebuild that if Olympus is destroyed. Which was very clever, Percy. I thought the whole like, don't touch my throne thing was a little stupid because mortals can't even get onto Olympus. I was like, anyone who can get to Olympus is already someone who is in the magical world and like has deference to the gods. Like, I mean, maybe an upjump satyr or naiad, I guess, could like do it. But or like an, a minor god, yeah, or, or the demigods, like anybody. Yeah. Obviously, not mortals, but anybody else could. If they could climb up there. Yeah, I guess. Well, anyway, in our Poseidon conversation, we get a really cute, clever line where Poseidon is like, okay, Percy, I'll do this for you. Make sure you pray for me. And Percy's like, I'm literally talking to you because he's basically praying to a god. And Poseidon's like, oh, yeah, fair point. But we get this really, like, Percy is being smart again. And he's like, they separated Poseidon. Like, why is Poseidon the only Olympian that they didn't want fighting Typhon? Like, and... So bringing him back will change the tide of the war, pun intended. So then there is yet another surprise with even more reinforcements. So (laughs) Percy sends Mrs. O'Leary to the underworld to shadow travel, and she brings back Nico, Hades, Demeter, and Persephone, all from the underworld to help and fight. But Kronos seals off the entrance to the Empire State Building from their portion of the army, and he just ignores Percy and walks into the building to go up to Olympus. And we also, surprisingly, get more reinforcements in Paul and Sally, because as Kronos does that, he also, I guess Morpheus, lifts the spell, so all of Manhattan starts waking up, and... Paul and Sally wake up, and Paul picks up a sword, one of the celestial bronze swords, and kills monsters, and Sally grabs a shotgun out of a police car and also starts shooting, so they're, like, ready to fight, which I thought was great. Yeah. Also, they it's been described in this book before, but especially, I, it, it hit me at this moment because Paul calls them his parents. I mean, Paul. Percy calls them his parents. Like, he considers Paul his dad instead of, like, mom and my stepdad or something like that. Like he just calls them his parents multiple times in the books. I thought that was really cute. Also because Paul is like clearly invested and like in like he's accepted their family for the weirdness that's going on there. Yeah. And so I really like that Percy calls him the dad. Like that's really sweet, especially because like Poseidon is not a dad. Poseidon is like a father. Like he's not (laughs) like, we got a little bit of, like, a biblical vibe going on. Like, two two dads for Percy. And we've got some resurrection stories for Percy, too. Um, <laughs> he, like, dies in the last book. I'm like, Calypso. Anyway, is this whole book actually the Bible? Who knows? But anyway, let's move on to getting back up to Olympus. And this book is just Percy going up and down Olympus, like, 15 different times. Like, they get to Olympus, and they have to make the battle prep, and they go back up to Olympus to tell Poseidon to come down, and then they come back down to fight some more, and they go back up to Olympus to beat Kronos. But anyway, they head upstairs to fight Kronos, and Talia immediately falls underneath the statue, the Hera statue, because Hera has cursed Annabeth, which I thought was hysterical. And Annabeth's like... She's been sending cows after me for a whole year, and then she dropped her freaking statue on me. But I did like that it was Talia. Like, even though Talia is one of our, like, we've had her for multiple books, and she's clearly involved, and she's one of their close friends, I I like that she wasn't in the throne room with them. Yeah, it was the original three. Exactly. We needed our golden trio, and then we get into the throne room. Yes, so we are getting to the end, and... 
Kronos is there with Ethan and I think like a couple monsters that they like to eat pretty quickly. But Ethan ends up kind of, there's like a moment where, you know, Kronos is like to Ethan, stab Percy, you know, in his back. We know that's where his Achilles heel is. Like, this is your chance. And Percy, Percy basically talks him down and convinces him that is this really what you want? Like, even if Kronos is in charge, like, you still won't get what you ultimately want. Like, equality, I think. And Ethan ends up turning on Kronos. He, like, turns around and runs towards Kronos, I think, tries to stab him, obviously gets bounced off. And I think Kronos, like, hits him. And then he opens a hole in the ground and Ethan just falls through the sky. Which was kind of sad, but it, it was great because... He finally kind of got that redemption and made the right decision, even though he had to sacrifice himself and he died. But, I mean, as we'll learn in a little bit, like, his death meant something for the rest of the demigods that will now come for minor gods and godlings and everything. Yeah. But then, after that, we also learn that Poseidon has joined the gods in fighting Typhon, and finally they defeat him pretty much with Poseidon, Bring most of it. Bring the Cyclopes. It's literally Poseidon and all of his children. They come, well, because it's right when he, like, steps into the Hudson River yes, or something, Yes, that's exactly right. I'm reenacting <laughs> Typhon stepping into and the Hudson. You can't see it right now because it's a podcast, but I just reenacted falling into the Hudson. But he takes a step in, and then all the reinforcements come, and then with that, and then the combination of all the gods, they're finally able to defeat him, which is like, wow, you know, maybe they should have thought of this... You know, back in the Midwest or something before they destroyed <laughs> this line of destruction across the entire U.S. Also, I don't know how you were visualizing this. This is another one of those things where, like, it would have been really interesting to see how they did it in a movie. And we should talk about that at the end of this episode as well. But yeah, the, I imagine the gods flying around. Like, one, I imagine Typhon being this huge, yeah. huge giant. And I imagine yes. all the gl- gods, like, flying around, like, on their own individual clouds, like, ten of them or however many of them are fighting, like, zipping isn't around him. Scene in, isn't there a scene in Hercules in the cartoon where they're, like, fighting? I don't think it's – there's, like, the, there's like a big monster, mm-hmm. like, walking, and the gods are circling mm-hmm. around, fighting it. This is what I picture, like, except, like, in real life. But, yeah, I, I picture – and they also – because they describe Typhon, he's got, like, hurricanes around him, tornadoes, yeah. like – once you get closer, you can actually see what that he's like a humanoid human shape. Form yeah. look. But like from afar, he just looks like this terrible, terrible storm. But yes, I would say like flashes of the gods flying around. Okay. But then I would say Poseidon comes up out of the water in like his water chariot to fly. And all the cyclopes come Great. out and like drag him into the because sea. That's how I imagine I just it. imagine like when I was reading it, the, especially the scenes where you see him like destroying the country as he comes west, east. But I imagine like. Zeus literally, like, walking around on a cloud that's, like, spinning around this giant, huge typhoon. And then, like, Athena on, like, a mini cloud who comes. She's like, it's a trap. It's a trap. We should head back east. And Zeus is like, you are my best commander. You may not leave me. And, like, their clouds getting separated and, like, buzzing around. It's like, I would describe it how it is in the Hercules yeah. movie. They they show, like, the gods of that. Like, they're on, like, cloud chariots, basically. Okay. Great. Maybe that's where I got that image from, like. Deep in my subconscious, but I just imagine them like on little personal clouds, like like these tiny little gnats around a horse. Like the horse is like raging and they're just like zipping around. Anyway, we get to our big, big climax. 
And I think we'll talk about Ethan at the end as well. We'll save our redemptions all for the end. But our big climax is basically that Annabeth's celestial bronze knife is the cursed blade of the prophecy because Luke, when he gave it to her, he promised her and Talia that they would be a family and that he wouldn't leave them. And Luke broke that promise, thereby cursing that blade. And so Luke uses it on himself. And of course, Luke has a very strategically placed place for his Achilles heel, like under his armpit, where it'd be really hard to reach that specific spot. Percy hands Luke the knife. Luke takes the knife, stabs it into himself. His body is destroyed. Kronos is expelled. And basically, we won the battle. We beat Kronos. Yes. As Luke is dying, Annabeth says that she only ever loved him as a brother, which I wrote, as she should, since he is way older. Like, he is, like, 19 or 20 at this point, and they're 15 or 16. Like, he is too old for her. Anyway, but that's good. And Luke also makes Percy promise that all the unclaimed demigods like him and Ethan, especially the ones of the more minor gods, that to not let this happen again. Don't let them get left behind, be unrepresented, be unclaimed, because by doing that, that is what led to this. They wouldn't have grown, Cronus's forces wouldn't have grown in so much power if they wouldn't have had all these demigods behind them. The fact that they had a demigod spy, like, they wouldn't have had the same amount of power if they didn't have those people supporting them. And Kronos was only able to come back into a form because a demigod gave him a body and because enough demigods pledged themselves to him. Like, remember, we needed Ethan to, like, pledge himself. And we were told in the second book that as demigods join, that's what brings Kronos strength. Exactly. Like, we know, and even we get that weird Dionysus vision, which, like, we totally skipped over because it was totally pointless. But... Dionysus, like, pulls Percy, like, out of the battlefield. He's like, you know, make sure that you, you know, we need the demigods. And we're like, yeah, we know. Like, even the gods rely on the demigods. And even though they're just demigods, they do have power in this mythical world. And, like, demigods being scorned is what turned the tide in the war. Like, it brought Kronos up, and it's what brought Kronos down. Yeah. And then after Kronos is defeated, the gods like bust open the door, like ready to fight. But every it's over. The war is over. I just thought that was so funny. Yeah, it was really it was pretty ironic. Like, well, you showed up late and we beat him. So before we move on and talk about the party, anything else we want to talk about Kronos and the prophecy? I don't think so i think we're just going to talk more about the redemption yeah of great and stuff later but yeah because we basically covered we're not we don't have to go line by line but basically the great prophecy was when a child of the big three turns 16 there will a decision will be made and a hero will have to make a choice that will cause their soul to be reaped and that decision will and something with a curse blade which we've discussed and that will cause olympus to be raised or um saved so basically percy turns 16 that allows the hero to curse blade yada 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 all i'd want to point out is i think that the biggest surprise was the fact that annabeth's knife was the curse blade because i feel like i would have never guessed that absolutely because i think that when we read it 
or when I read it the first time, I figured it was going to be Kronos as Scythe. And then we find out that Kronos as Scythe is also Backbiter. Like, he transforms the Scythe yeah. into Backbiter. Like, that's evil. Like, Luke was just carrying around Kronos as Scythe. And then also we have this, like, is it Anaclusmus, Riptide? So that was a big, that was a big surprise. But I also liked the explanation that it was, like, Luke made a promise and he broke it. And that was a curse. That was like, instead of being, that was something that was unpredictable for this series. Like, it was definitely a plot twist that I wasn't expecting. So I definitely appreciated that. I completely agree. Well, let's get into our party. We have the gods, yada, yada, yada. I thought it was super cute the way they give, like, Hades a a guest chair and Nico's just sitting in front of his dad, like, cross-legged. I thought that was really adorable. And Poseidon hugs Percy for the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And then we get some rewards. Talia gets absolutely nothing. They're like, yes. She didn't do anything. She was under <laughs> She brought the Artemis hunters back and they helped defend. But think but think about it. They are only re- they only reward like Grover, Annabeth, Percy, all the other demigods that were nothing. there. They don't get any yeah, rewards. Yeah, they're like, okay, maybe we'll give some more they girls the to the hunters. Okay, fine. And then they're like, Tyson, you're going to be a general. And he's like, I want a stick. And they're like, okay, you can have a stick. Grover gets what I would think is probably like the coolest one. He gets, becomes a member of the Cloven Elder Council, which is pretty cool. And it's important for yeah. his arc of like wanting to influence the satyrs because he's like, how am I going to do that now that I've been called an outcast? Not an outcast anymore. Annabeth also gets a really cool reward where... She's going to be able to design architecture for Olympus, which is amazing. And then for Percy, they offer him low godling immortality status, which I was a little on the fence about. I didn't really think that was a particularly good reward for him. Well, if you think about it, it's the best, re- it's the best reward they could give. You get to live forever. That's we keep, I keep talking about Hercules. That's what they do in Hercules. When he wins, they're like, we'll make you a god. And then he's like, no, because he wants to be with, uh, what's her name? Meg. Meg. I won't say I'm in love. Which basically, Percy does the same thing because obviously he knows what he wants to ask for, but he also doesn't but want to But don't become... they turn Meg into a god too? No. Her- Hercules becomes, he just stays human. Oh, I thought they both became gods at the end, but. I don't think so. Anyway, maybe we should rewatch it, but. I mean, I get it. It was like the biggest gift they could give. Yeah, immortality. It felt, it felt unpersonal. It felt impersonal. The gods are impersonal. They don't. They don't actually. But Grover care. and Annabeth get gifts that are tailor made for them. And for Percy, they were like, "Well, you're the leader, therefore you get the best gift." Well, yeah, because for what else would per what else would Percy what could else I don't know an underwater want? palace for himself. But I don't think he'd want that. Like. Just like he wouldn't want the immortality, Percy doesn't really seem like there's, there's not really anything or he wants. Or camp leader. Like, I could see him, like, he, being, like, the director he, of camp. That a, seems like a... Per- he's a child. He cannot lead the camp. Also, that's already... Dionysus is already that. And they have Chiron. Like, they wouldn't... That doesn't make any sense. The fact is, also, Percy would not want to be a teacher. That doesn't make any sense. It makes sense that their reward was the highest power, highest reward they can give anybody is immortality. That sounds pretty dang good. You just can live forever. That's forever. Like, that seems amazing. But obviously... But and they the, all know that he loves Annabeth. No, it makes they no don't. sense. 
Who knows? Yes, they do. Athena's literally like, stay away Athena from my daughter. Athena is the only person who's ever mentioned that before. None of the gods know the, know their relationship. The gods don't care oh, enough. And only Athena like so cares clear. because it's her daughter. And that's why And that's why he turns it, ultimately, also that makes sense. He turns it down because all he wants is Annabeth. And he already has Annabeth, so there's nothing else that they can give him. Which is why yeah. he turns it well, down. Either way, I still felt like it was a little less complex of a gift, but... Also, because he you're saying like this. that the the gods are not personable. Like they give Annabeth that thing, they don't know how much that means to her. They're just like somebody's got to rebuild Olympus. She's a daughter of Athena. We know she likes architecture. That works. Grover, that just makes sense because basically all the whole Cloven has been killed. There is no one left, and he's the chosen one by Pan. So yeah. it makes sense that they reinstate him basically. And then, wow. like you know what I mean. But Percy, like that makes sense. I guess. I do like that Percy swaps it for something that I think that actually Percy would care about. The whole demigod equality motion, like that made a lot more sense. And it felt very Percy. Like besides the fact that he makes the promise to Luke, it also, like Percy would have seen demigods. Like he's been trying to spare them the whole time. And he knows what it's like to feel unclaimed. I mean, because he got to camp not having known anything about it. And... So I do like that Percy, also very clever with the whole, like, none of this big three stuff, like, because one, it didn't work. You all cheated. You all broke the rules anyway. And we don't have a bit great prophecy to worry about anyway. Also, if you think about it too, in comp- Percy compared to the gods, the gods pretty much all think very selfishly. They're only thinking about themselves. They made that oath to prevent their downfall. They don't- All broke the oath because they're selfish. They don't claim like the minor gods and stuff because they feel that they're above them. They want immortality. Like I'm just saying, whereas like Percy is thinking from Percy's able to see the bigger picture mm-hmm. and says, if we care about everybody and we create equality, it's less likely there's going to be any kind of uprising because everyone will be happy. Absolutely. Whereas the gods don't think about anyone except themselves. I mean, look at their children. They don't even care about their own children. What makes them? What makes you think they're going to care about anybody else? So I think that is ultimately like why it makes sense that that is a gift that they would give Percy because all they care is about selfishness and doing things for yourself. Whereas Percy is thinking about everyone and of course would never accept something like that. Well, I just think they should have offered it him and Annabeth, but whatever. But Annabeth didn't do as much. Percy, Percy. I mean, she figured out the prophecy. I don't think Percy could have done it without her, but Percy did the actual fighting. He made the decision to give Luke the knife and not just try to kill him himself. Percy bathed in the river sticks. Like there, there's like Percy was the hero of Percy. Although wasn't the hero like Luke, like Percy did everything to put everything together. Sure. I just feel like if Percy was going to accept it, he would have needed Annabeth to be immortal too. Annabeth didn't do enough to warrant that. Also, there was no way they would ever give immortality to people. They even yeah. were like, we guess we can offer you this amazing gift. Yeah. Even though they really don't want to. <laughs> well, anyway, let's move on from these stupid gifts. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think I've proved my point that I'm clearly I, I, right. I would agree with you that, like, I get it why they did it. I just felt like it. maybe what I'm trying to say is that I feel like. I knew Percy would never accept it. And like, 
anyone who's read the books would know that Percy would never accept but it. But that's the key. You're saying you knew that Percy would never accept it because we know Percy. The gods don't know Percy. Even Poseidon barely knows Percy because that's the whole point. The gods don't have the pleasure of knowing their children. Real quick tangent, how we were talking earlier about, or I said the thing about Luke, how all the demigods face this. That's one of the things like pros and cons. The pro of being a demigod, you get some, depending on your parent, you get special powers. You get to live this really cool life. Like you get to learn about all these cool magical things. But the con is you don't have a relationship with one of your parents. Maybe you don't have a relationship with either of your parents based on what your godparent did to your regular parent. Like, so there's like pros and cons. Anyway, so back to what we were talking about. After all of the prizes are given, we return back to Camp Half-Blood. And Rachel is there. And she becomes the new oracle of Delphi. And she gives them a new great prophecy. Which reads, Seven half-bloods shall answer the call. To storm or fire, the world must fall. An oath to keep with a final breath. And goes bare arms to the doors of death. So, great. (laughs) They just finished one prophecy. They already have another one. But Apollo explains how it took 70 years for Percy's great prophecy to finally play out. So, it's likely or possible that this prophecy won't even occur during his lifetime. But I know I wrote down, knowing Percy, it definitely will. And this is what I assume is what's going to happen in the Heroes of Olympus, the next series. It's going to be based off of that prophecy. Well, I can tell you because I did a little bit of Wikipedia reading when I was checking uh, out no which spoilers. books I have to... People might, people might want to read those books. It's not a spoiler. I'm going to say that you're right, that it does, like, the next series, the sequel series does take place. It's about this great prophecy. That's not a... Well, that, well that's It's not really a surprise. It's not a spoiler. But I'm saying, like, it's clearly linked and Riordan clearly had plans to keep writing. I didn't read, like, and I think it takes the whole series. Again, I haven't actually read the books yet, so I wouldn't know. But I think it takes the whole five books of the next one to get the great prophecy to come to pass. But anyway, we finish with our romance. Percy and Annabeth finally kiss. And Clarice and the other campers throw them in the lake, which was ill-advised. And Percy's like, yeah, that was ill-advised because we can underwater kiss because I'm the son of Poseidon. And I was like, ooh, this is no longer a children's book. But it was very cute. It's still a children's book. But yes, it wraps up very nicely. And our final scene, we find out that Annabeth has decided to go to a boarding school in New York so she can continue to work on Olympus and stay close to Percy. So I think that puts it to the end. Let's talk about redemption. Let's talk about our three half-blood traders. We have Luke, Selena, or Selena, and Ethan. Ethan. I personally don't really feel like any of them deserved the recognition that they got. But I know you're about to tell me I'm wrong, so let's just <laughs> let you go. Wait, wait, well, tell me, tell me why first. Why don't you think they deserve their redemption? I feel like Ethan... He was given plenty of opportunities to see the light and he saw goodness of the other side like multiple times. Like Percy showed him mercy multiple times and Kronos just would like beat him up and like throw him around. And I feel like it was like, well, you kind of 
like did a bad thing and like you did a really bad thing and you doubled down on it. So my response to that would be that all three of them paid with their lives for their original decisions. But the reason why they have this redemption is because in the end, all their actions, their final actions were in favor of the gods. Like, obviously, Luke destroys Kronos. That's the biggest one. Selena, she gets the Ares cabin essentially to come help. If she wouldn't have done that, they probably would have died right there because Clarice wouldn't have shown up to defeat the Draken or whatever. And Ethan distracts Kronos enough to get Annabeth to Grover so that Annabeth doesn't die. Exactly. So I'm just saying, like, if they wouldn't have made those decisions and taken those courses of action, they probably, they might not have won in the end, the gods and Percy. Like, they might not have won if those people wouldn't have finally came to their senses and made their decisions. And as far as, yes, they did get what they deserved. They all died. <laughs> I guess you're right. I But I guess, if anything, you could say, because at least not so much with... Selena and Ethan, do they talk about it? But Luke, Percy's, or Percy or Annabeth is like, oh, you're going to go to a... Elysium. What is it? Elysium. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm going to... Luke says he's probably going to try for the three times to get the biggest one. What's the highest level? Do you remember? Isles of the Best. Blessed, maybe? Isles of the Blessed, I think. Maybe. I thought it was Isles of the Best, but Blessed might make more sense. Something like that. But... Basically, so I feel like if anything, you could argue, okay, maybe they shouldn't go to like heaven or whatever, the version of heaven in Greek mythology. But I feel like, I mean, if we're talking about religion, like redemption, yeah, they forgiveness for their sins, forgiveness, like that is that is part of religion. So it makes sense that like as long as you make the right decision in the end, you essentially should be able to be redeemed for any bad thing you've ever done. Like that, I feel like is okay. But they cause a lot of death. But I'm, I'm, tell, but I'm saying like obviously I don't know specifically like Greek mythology, Greek religion. But as far as like how religion usually is, is you can be redeemed from anything. Forgiveness is not normally for murder, though. Maybe. But I mean, I guess I agree with you that like they did change in the end. I just. Like, also, Selena. Like, I, I don't know what I would have given them otherwise. But I feel like... Also, like, yeah, what would you what would you have said? Like, we're just not going to bury those three? Like, because it frustrates me because, like, what she was doing was a deep, deep betrayal of trust. And that... Oh, of course. Like, that hurts And if a anything, lot. you can talk about the idea of forgiveness. It is redeeming for Percy. All of the demigods who stayed on the right side, it is redeeming for them to forgive them. And to yeah. let it go, because, like, yeah. you can't hold a grudge. Like, that will only turn you dark and evil. So the fact is, they, like I said, to That's me, true. they paid with their lives. And obviously, personal all them, they don't have control on what happens to them after death. Only Hades does, and he'll decide that, and the people will decide that. But I think it makes sense of them, that what they have in their power, that I do think that they should honor them as heroes because if not for their course of actions the result might not have been the same yeah i guess well anything else you want to talk about now that we finished our first series i think that's it like i said i can't believe we already finished especially since i feel like are we gonna do like final thoughts on the whole series like as a whole yeah 
Yeah, if you want to. I would just say that, obviously, comparing this reading, the last time I read this when I was, like, 11, honestly, I probably remembered about maybe half the plot, if I'm being generous. I think I remember definitely more of the first half. The second half of the book, I definitely didn't remember as much. I feel like, like, Battle of the Labyrinth, I really don't think I remembered that book at all. And even this book... The only thing I knew I for sure remembered is that I knew Percy was going to bathe in the River Styx to get the power of Achilles and everything. Oh, does he still have that forever now? That was something that I was curious about that they did not talk about in the book, and I have no idea, which that is actually an interesting thing. They did not explain whether it ends, but I would assume it doesn't unless I don't think because think about it like Achilles died and Luke died so we don't have any other examples of the person but everyone knows where his spot is now no they don't i guess not i guess it was everyone in that throne room so that would be fine but i guess so this is something like if we read heroes of olympus hopefully they would explain that but based off of what they give us we would just have to assume that he has it at least for now i feel like there has to be some sort of process to have it removed if it's yeah, like you have to go bathing again or something like that. And like you have to bring your lifeline and like Annabeth has to like go on a dip with him. I don't know. But that is an interesting point. But I was just gonna say overall, I think reading this now, like we've talked about, I felt the books are pretty predictable. I feel like most of the plot is very like you can see it coming if you're really reading and reading between the lines, which I think I'm sure we'll be able to find with a lot of like books made for younger audiences because mm-hmm. Most kids, because I feel like reading this as a kid, you're not necessarily looking for examples of foreshadowing and, oh, like, this clearly is insinuating that this is going to happen. But also, if you see them, that makes you feel very clever. Exactly. So I think that'll be interesting to see if that's a theme with other books. Yeah. I can't remember. I remember a lot of the book series we're starting next, but I remember the ending, and I'm not going to say how I felt about it until we get to it. But I remember that, like, half of it was very predictable and half of it was, like, completely out of left field. So, and maybe this time now that I'm an adult, I'll, like, see it coming more. But we'll talk about it a little more. But, like, the final book of the next series we're reading will blow your socks off. Oh, okay. Like, You're talking about you. the, ne- the, yeah. the secret also, of the immortal. Nicholas Flamel. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, that's the whole name. I keep thinking that that's the author's name. No, I call it, no, the author is Michael Scott. Scott, I know, Michael Scott, like in The Office. Like in The Office, and this author, he's actually spoken at length about how his life has been essentially ruined by Michael Scott in the show, because people, like, make fun of him and, like, compare him and make, Mike Office jokes at him all the time, because, like, he's been completely, like, his name has been completely co-opted by The Office and the terrible character that Michael Scott is in the show. That's so sad. I actually heard that on the Office Ladies podcast. They were talking about it. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's and so terrible. they were talking about, like, how he's, like, made a lot of public statements about how his life has been, like, completely upended because The Office completely, like, made his name infamous. But we should, before we finish, before we get into the next series, we should mention that Disney Plus is doing a something. They're doing with, a... I saw... It's I, a TV show, right? They're doing... I looked it up because I saw the Instagram post. Rick Riordan posted on his Instagram, and I was like, what? Because for anybody out here who did read Percy Jackson and saw those terrible movies, we definitely deserve a new a remake. Oh. We need something else. 
we're, when we get to the Golden Compass, that's how I feel. I mean, the original movie was so garbage that they couldn't make the other ones. I mean, the HBO show apparently is really good. I just haven't watched it Well, that's it yet. how the Percy Jackson, I think they made the first two books. Correct. The two movies, and they were, the second one was so terrible that they, Rick Riordan, I think, even says he's like, they're terrible. Like, we need to stop this. And that's why he posted that he's so excited that he's getting this new opportunity. But it looks like it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. They're doing a season for each book, which is great because then we're going to get a more complete storyline as opposed to one movie. Mm -hmm. So I am super excited. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you can use this to get your summaries on the books before if you want to watch. But I was very excited to hear that. Yeah, we'll definitely be watching it in our apartment when it comes out. We, she sent it to me, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait. But, yeah, the same thing happened with The Golden Compass. I'd read the first book, and the movie came out with Nicole Kidman. And I, it's not to say that she was the reason it was a bad movie. Also, like, Daniel Craig was in it, I think. Like, a lot of famous actors, and the movie was just, like, absolutely atrocious. So they didn't make the other two. But the HBO show apparently is really, really good, and I've been meaning to watch it. But anyway... There are no movies for the next series, The Secrets of the Mortal Nicholas Flamel. I think they sold the movie rights, but it's never actually been made. Well, we did it, Asia. We finished our first series. I'm proud of us. And I can't wait for you to start reading something that I read. Like, I read these books probably, I probably started them in sixth grade, oh, so sixth to seventh grade. So I was reading these at the books. same time. Yeah. Yeah, I think these are a little more complex than Percy Jackson. <laughs> like... That that's really not, that's speaks, not being shady. That but. really speaks towards our personalities because, of course, Charles is like he would be reading something way more advanced and complicated. But I'm like Percy Jackson. That is not what I mean by that. I I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Also, like maybe I'm just giving myself more credit. I do think they were a little more nuanced, a little more complex. But we'll see. And I have some really fun things I want to track while we're reading it. And let's get into it. So. Again, next week, the first book, and I just call these the Alchemist series sometimes because that title is way too long, but the first book in The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel is called The Alchemist, and that's missed with a Y, not with an I, like the actual word. And these books have really short chapters. They're about the same length as the Percy Jackson books. They're maybe a little longer, but we're still going to do them in halves, I think, so that we can keep the pace moving. But we're going to read the first half of The Alchemist, which is chapters 1 through 21 for next week. And really, don't worry, like some of the chapters are three pages long. You can make it through. So we'll talk about those 21 chapters next week. I'm very excited to read something new, especially something that you enjoyed in your childhood. So it'll be interesting. John for and sure. Sophie. Those are our main characters. So if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or you want to talk about Percy Jackson anymore, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. You can head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty. And you can find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheeland on both Twitter and Instagram. And I think this is the last episode we're going to say we're a new podcast because now we have done 10 weeks and we finished our first series. But we're a new podcast on the Nerd Party Network. So make sure that if you enjoy it, you rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your library, share it with your former teachers. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Like I said, we have some new ones. And make sure that you're subscribed to our show so you don't miss us next week when we start the next books. 
Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.